As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're ready to take your game to the next level, who better to lead the way than our own Luke Bogacki? Check out This Is Bracket Racing Elite today. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki, and the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Hey, Luke, what's going on, bud? What's up, Big Jed? Oh, just glad to be here. Just hanging out and enjoying another beautiful day here in Alabama. Yourself? I heard you uh, had a wild weekend. Well, yeah, uh, had a wild weekend with a race car without even being in it. How about that? That's uh, pretty rare. But um, Big Red, is, uh, she's been pretty fun since got it back, got the engine back from Huntsville Engine. And my new BTE converter is really aggressive and mean, which is what exactly what I asked for out of B-Rob. And been popping little wheelies, and it's been a lot of fun. But had to tighten it up at Huntsville a few weeks ago because it was – Getting up there where it was a little uncomfortable. And it's 65, 70 degrees, so Bones was taking it to Montgomery to the Super 7 Friday, and I was going to come down and race Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, we're we're guys, and we're, uh, we like to have fun. So we said, you know, it's going to be 90 degrees. Let's loosen that thing up. So, you know, it'll Why it'll still pop. Here, right? Yeah, it's 90 degrees. going to pop good wheelies and have fun. Well, we loosened that thing up, and the uh, very first time he let go of the button... 
which probably shouldn't tell this, but he had the cell phone on in the car uh, <laughs> because we were racing Larry Martin. I was at work, and I was going to get to listen to it. Well, it kind of went bad from there. <laughs> big Red was loose and popped a really, really big wheelie. He said about 10 feet out. You know, he thought, oh, boy, this is, <laughs> this is good. And uh, 11 feet out, he threw the phone down in the floorboard and just held on as it proceeded to do a 300-foot wheelie. You know, you hear on the back bumper all the time, but it would have been on the back bumper had it not been for the tailpipes. They got in the ground, scraped my tailpipes up. Full exhaust, met, big red. Full exhaust. Messed up my slow Nova tag, bent my tag straight out. Mm. When you drag the tag, which is going to be a new hashtag that I'm going to use, <laughs> <laughs> tag dragger. Uh, when you drag the tag, Lucas, not, things don't end well for a, a tube chassis strut car, and they did not. She come down, probably got really lucky, busted the oil pan, I uh, had to replace that today, knocked the front end out of line, but everything else seems to be intact. He said the door's still open and shut, and the fenders seem to be where they were when he let go of the button. So I think we're going to be okay, but uh, that ended my chances of going down and racing the Super 7, so I just hung out at the house all weekend. So you never Really big wheelie yet. by Big Red, uh, and you've been there. Yours has done it too. Troy Williams Jr. in the seat, the Vega has. Yeah, the uh, I hate that I didn't get to see it. No video, no pictures, but um, sound like a really good time there for about half track or so. So in short, you didn't make it to the racetrack yourself, and Big Red is tore up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That summarizes it well. Um, didn't get to go racing, put it back in the trailer, but uh, he got it fixed today. He got a new oil pan on it and got the front end aligned, so I think we're going to be okay. Well, you can't ask for more than that. That's service. Yeah, oh yeah, Huntsville Engine. Nobody tears your stuff up or fixes it any better. <laughs> what about you, bud? What you been uh, up to? Not much uh, on the racing front to uh, to report from Team Bogak over the weekend. My little man turned four on Friday, and wow. uh, we basically dedicated the last four days to that. We threw him a by God birthday party Sunday. My wife gets into that. We had a, we had a blast. It was a uh, cat in the hat themed birthday party. And we go all out. We probably had 50 people here, friends and family, local. and uh, Had a big time. And then Monday we took uh, him and his uh, his cousin to the zoo in St. Louis. So that's kind of awesome birthday tra- tradition. But uh, yeah, we had a good time with it. So. Gary's already four. Four years wow. old. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one going, man, I can't believe that. So time flies it does it does all right we've got a pretty good uh action-packed jam full show as usual today we will uh after putting this off for what seems like a month and a half we're going to talk with don bulware he was the one the last big thing contest so looking forward to that we had nhra national event in houston we had the super seven at montgomery that you were scheduled to be at but i guess you didn't miss a whole lot uh, anyway yeah and sound uh, like but before we get to that, first off, I want to lead off. It's, it's I guess, somewhat rare that we get to, to share good news on the podcast. Seems like we're more typically talking about issues, but uh, some great news came across the wire. I saw it last night. Brian Cerruti's entire operation was found. Those of you not familiar, Brian's Dooley, Trailer, Camaro were um, stolen from a motel right near the Hoover Dam uh, following the Spring Fling Million last weekend on Brian's first leg of his trip back to back home to Ohio. Got up in the morning, everything's gone. 
Obviously, a week had passed. Everybody, I think, fearing the worst. But uh, it sounds like best case scenario, no, Jed? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and Luca, this is totally unrehearsed between the two of us. I was under the impression that the truck was not found, just the trailer in the car. Be mistaken there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I believe that right now the thought was that they took it just for the truck. That they say those trucks are stolen a lot in that area and might have just got it, you know, because they wanted the truck and it happened to have a trailer and car tied to it, and they just left that sitting somewhere. Uh, so, but nonetheless, very happy for Brian getting his car back. As you said, it's rare that we get to report that kind of good news. And I know uh, Angela Macy uh, put forth a lot of effort to help Brian, and uh, she and I chatted about that. It was a very, very crazy situation how they found it. It was first reported that they just found the trailer and no car by the police, no less. And then they tell him 48 hours later that, no, your car's in there. So, uh, <laughs> really, <minor> details. <laughs> <laughs> really, really crazy. But, you know, thank you to Angela for her help. And I know a lot of people worked hard to help Brian, and I'm, I'm sure he's very appreciative to each of them. But uh, very glad to hear he got his car and his trailer back. Yeah, for sure. And that kind of brings up, we mentioned this idea last week, and I think Angela actually presented it to us. Yeah. But uh, we do, we want to dedicate an upcoming episode of the podcast to avoiding this this situation as racers so we're going to put the put our feelers out we know we've got a big network of listeners and and racers but we're going to kind of call on anyone that has any experience with a situation like this whether it's from you know having your own race car you know trailer whatever something in your operation stolen or if you're involved in law enforcement and have experience in a similar situation or you are a manufacturer or know of or use an anti-theft device that will work to prevent help prevent this type of thing to anyone that's in the insurance industry like uh you know to kind of shed some light on that end of it basically we're we're looking to get some information from all angles here so if if you have been a part of that or, or involved in this from any angle, if you would make us aware of that via the Facebook page, via message, something like that, we may actually yep. um, bring you guys on the podcast interview. If nothing else, we can gather some more information that we can share um, with the racing community and probably just dedicate an entire episode to um, what we can do as racers to keep this from happening to us. Absolutely. Great idea, Luke. And uh, Angela mentioned that, as you said, which is a, a really good suggestion on her part. And the more people that we can educate, the more that we can stop these. You're never going to stop them all. We know that. But if we can stop one, then we, you know, mission accomplished. And I think we can do way better than that. So uh, looking forward to hearing from some of the people that have experience in this area and that can help keep some of our listeners and some of their friends and anybody else from having this happen to them absolutely we're gonna switch gears a little bit i think the big we like to talk about what's fresh and what's hot and what's new whether it's easy <laughs> to talk about or difficult to talk about and the hottest thing that blew up my social media world yesterday was came out of capital raceway i'm assuming you uh, got a chance to review this jed yeah, uh, definitely in the middle of this and um, talking to people as well, but uh, it's kind of an odd situation for sure. Yeah, for, for any of you that haven't kept up with this or don't know completely what's going on, I'll try to, to give a Cliff Notes overview. But there's basically a 35-minute video, uh, I believe posted to Facebook, 
via Capital Raceway from Jim Bradshaw, who is the Capital Raceway manager. Basically, I, the gist of the video is to explain that they'll no longer contest modified ET in their bracket program, and Capital is an IHRA track, so for those of you not familiar with modified ET, like that's the footbrake class or the, the um, no electronics class in that area. IHRA is just basically top ET and modified. So going forward, Capital will just have top ET, junior dragster and he explained that they'll mix in some testing for like radial no time cars as part of the bracket program and in listening to him like i wasn't completely aware because obviously i live a long way from capital raceway like their program is fairly unique basically guarantee five thousand dollars to win top et every weekend that they're open I, I looked at their that's the way i took it from the video i looked at their schedule there's some three granders like that's the bare minimum it looks like there's some ten granders but basically every time they swing open the gates it's a big money program for um, Top ET, and it's not like they race once a month. They race just about every weekend. Yeah. And in watching the video, like um, Mr. Bradshaw's reasoning for dropping their modified class was that they lost money on it. And that part I could understand, which we'll get to later, uh, and I know that you've got some thoughts on it, Jed. But he went yeah. on to say that, that modified is basically outdated or will soon be extinct because of electronics coming into race in that part i don't completely follow and don't think i agree with but in his defense he's going as far as you could given the decision to make things right to his modified racers like they're refunding anybody that entered the points program they're refunding parking places if you don't want to come out there and race and but he's basically encouraging those guys to just put a box in and race with everybody else obviously the decision and i think more than anything the way that it was presented didn't mm. sit well with the with the footbrake no box crowd. So as to be expected, there's been significant pushback from the footbrake community. I know that's your wheelhouse, Jed. So give me some of your thoughts first. Yeah, Luke, I, I could spend the rest of whatever time we have available to us on the show talking about this, but I'll be as brief as I can. I think I've got a few points to discuss, but. You know, I've talked with a, a couple of people that are very close to this situation that race there on a regular occasion. And both of those people were sure to tell me that Mr. Bradshaw is a good guy and he's done good things for Capital Raceway. So in no way do I want to take light away from the good things he's done because it must be true based on where the information come from, I, I would believe it 100%. Yeah, that being said... That was one thing I wanted to preface with, too. Like, I've never met Jim Bradshaw. And there was a few things in the video I thought, man, that's a good idea, even though I disagreed with the basic premise of it. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I don't want to come on here and blast somebody that I've never met. But at the same time, it's kind of our job to talk about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You know, and like I said, I'm sure he's a great guy, but he didn't come off like that in his video. You can tell me that you've tried to make the numbers work, and, and they just don't. I get that. I mean, you're a business. You, it's got to profit. Tell me that, you know, you've given it every chance possible, and it just didn't work out. Or just tell me you don't have the time that it takes to run that class with the, the rest of the crowd you got. Don't tell me that bottom bulb racing is a thing of the past, and these racers are competing in a class that just doesn't have a place in racing. You know, I'm... I know I paraphrased that a little bit, but he's he basically said it's a it's a world full of electronics, and if you don't have them, really, there's no point in you you wanting to race at his racetrack. That to me is just a, a 
a cover up for saying, guys, it just didn't work out and I don't want to run mod. I mean, it's simple as that. I don't want to lose money on the class anymore. Whatever the case is, it's his option to do that. But he covered that with a, a reason that just was totally senseless. Since that video, he has since said now the mod racers can come back and race, but they'll have to run with the super pro guys. But I like his program. I like his idea. He's going to, to give those guys an opportunity to race mod versus mod until there's one left and then blend them in with the remaining top guys. So, you know, if I'm racing there every week, I like that option. Obviously, it does cost me more money. And obviously, it makes it a little more difficult to win because at some point, you got to go through some top cars. But I'm competing for a much larger purse each week. And I think it only makes me better as a racer as a result of the stiffer competition in the late rounds. And uh, let's be honest, anybody that shows up at that point, knowing the program format, is probably a, a good racer to great racer and full of confidence. So racing some top guys late in the round is not going to be a big deal to them. So, you know, is it perfect? No. But it does allow me to continue racing at a place that, that I enjoy racing. You know, if I'm a local uh, guy there, and I can race for some pretty serious weekly money in the process. So just totally disliked the reasoning that Mr. Bradshaw gave, but it sounds like some people in his circle that he trusts to help him make decisions got to him after that video and helped him turn it around somewhat and, and create a little better situation for the mod guys. So hopefully it works out. Yeah, I watched this this morning and I tried to uh, kind of remove myself from personal feelings and just like I always try to look at a situation and try to see where everybody's coming from. And uh, so I've got I got a lot of different thoughts here, if you can follow along. First off, in a way, like I kind of respect the honesty and transparency that he delivered this with. Like just flat like he pretty well laid out the numbers and said, look, we're, we're not making money, so we're not going to run mod anymore. And like from somebody that's been on both ends of it, like I can respect that. You know what I mean? And I, I think sure. to an extent... Most racers can respect that, but like you said, the way that it was presented, it just had that feel like you you guys ain't good enough to, to race that. You know what I mean? I know he didn't <laughs> yeah. and say that, but that was how I would have felt if I was a local foot brake racer. And yep. so he, while I don't, I've, ultimately, Mr. Bradshaw is a businessman. He's got to make money. Like we all understand that. And if the modified class is you feel like there's no way to make money with it, then you don't have it anymore. And I don't have any sure. problem with that. But from just like a, a PR standpoint, like, man, let somebody else watch that before you release it to the world. You, know what I mean? like <laughs> you, you can you can sugarcoat that a little bit and not just completely alienate, granted, a, a small section of your racer base, but a loyal one, you know? Sure. So like I kind of I mentioned earlier, like I follow his – Logic, with the exception of the, the modified class being outdated, and we can talk about that more. Like, we've talked about it in the past. It's my contention that a true footbrake class is really the best thing for the sport as a whole. But I know, like he said repeatedly in the video, it's trending in the other direction to the no-box side. But that's probably a little bit different discussion for a different day. So, like, I can – but in Mr. Bradshaw's case, I can follow his logic, although – I don't personally agree with most of it. Like I said, he's a businessman. He has to turn a profit. But my way of looking at this is, 
his vision for what needs to happen is fairly short-sighted. Like, it has to turn a profit tomorrow, right? Right. And, and that's fine, and that's, to be completely transparent, like, that's the way that a lot of us make a living, myself included. Like, you guys put on races, and they ain't $800 to win races. You know what I mean? Sure. So we all benefit from that upper echelon of the sport, so to speak, and that's where the profitability is. I get that. But at the same time, particularly as a owner-manager of a, of a local facility, like, you have to think about, well, what's going to happen at this facility 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And maybe bracket racing is not a big part of that. Like, I don't know. Just, you know what I mean? I'd like to think sure. it is because I'm a bracket racer. But with this type of program on a weekly basis, like, there is no feeder system outside of the junior dragsters. And what happens when the kid graduates junior dragsters and has to jump right into $5,000 win Super Pro? Like, they're just, to me... Longevity-wise, there has to be a, a, a feeder system. And actually, like I saw this, Michael Beard had, had tagged, I think, both of us in it. Yep. And he shared a link to a column that he wrote 10 years ago. And I vaguely remember reading that at the time, but I didn't really credit him because that's basically the program that I spelled out here on the podcast a couple of months ago. That, you know, you've got to have a, a junior program, like the teen championship program. You've got to have a trophy program. You've got to have a way for racers to progress, hopefully, ultimately, to get to that top ET ranks. But that's no like not where anybody can start. And Michael laid that out really eloquently in this column. Like, if you can find the link to that, it's a really good template. And like I said, we're, we're all guilty. Like, we're promoters. Big dollar bracket race, and, and and even Michael to a degree, like he promotes bigger bracket races. Yes, um, but for bracket racing to sustain decades from now, that feeder system has really got to. And in some places, it's in place, but in some places, it needs a lot of help. And it looks to me like that area it needs some help. Like, where is that going to be in twenty years? That would be my main concern. So, uh, again, like, this directly affects, like, 40 racers. Um, yeah. But, and, and some of those guys will switch to top ET, like Mr. Bradshaw suggested. Some of those guys will go race modified elsewhere. And, and I do, I, I like, like you said, like, the kind of no-brainer is just run modified separate. Um, and that is apparently what they're doing. Uh, again, like you say, I still think that that probably runs off 70 to 80% of your modified crowd because now in order to, to win, you've got to run through boxcars. So it's going to trim it down to the elite, like you said. To me, that doesn't do anything to solve the core problem, which for me would be that feeder system. Yeah. But again, you know, some of those guys will run, run footbreak elsewhere. Some of them will quit. You know, if they just like running footbreak at Capital, don't really have the means or, or the desire to go anywhere else, you will just lose some racers, and that's never good. But the core issue to me is, like, Mr. Bradshaw isn't the only operator thinking along these lines. Like, the, the handwriting in a lot of areas of the country is kind of on the wall. On the, wall. The, the disconnect between the track manager, the race operator, who is obviously, at least at some level, profit-minded, and the bracket racer, who typically, like like I've said before, we're a pain in the butt. Like, we want <laughs> a lot of things just right so that our competition is right. And typically, there's very little profit to be had from our style of racing. So, 
I don't know, like there's blame on both sides of that disconnect. Here locally, it drives me crazy. Like our, obviously I'm very closely affiliated with our home track. I put on a couple of races there a year, but the, the local vibe here is that our track personnel, owner, manager on down the line is like lazy. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Like the people that say that have no idea what it takes to put on a race. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, our track manager, much like Mr. Bradshaw, is not what I would call a bracket racer. Like, he's very customer-oriented, and he's obviously profit-driven. And it's probably good to an extent, like Bill Bader talked about that when we had him on, that you don't just necessarily want to cater to all the bracket racers. Like, you have to find that happy median, but there's got to be there be some discourse for that disconnect. And I know I'm kind of rambling and going all over the place, but what are, do you have any thoughts there, Jed? No, I'm making some great points. Like, I guess the point that I want to make long-term is, like, condensing the field, and that's basically what they're doing at Capital. Like, they're basically taking two classes and trying to make one. That's right. It makes sense immediately, because, like he said, he may take his Super Pro or his Top ET crowd from 95 cars to 105 cars just by making this change, but it's not the long-term answer. Like, it's that's not going to grow the sport. And ultimately, that's on us. Like I've said before, we've got to get more people involved, more people to the racetrack, but racetracks have to give us a place to send them. And a $5,000 top ET race is not the place to get your feet wet, you know. So, uh, and just side note, like I say, I don't want to completely sound like I'm trashing Capital and Mr. Bradshaw. Like, he had a really cool idea. I don't know if you watched the end of that, but they've got, like, local businesses sponsoring (laughs) random weekly random racers on a weekly basis did you catch yeah, that i did kind of a cool idea like basically he gets a business to sponsor 200 bucks and they basically sponsor two racers by paying their entry fee to the weekend and they get pa plugs i get i would assume when that racer pulls into the water this this racer presented by joe's crab shack or whatever the case may be like yeah that's a pretty cool idea uh, it really is. And they just do a random drawing among their points participants. So, like I say, Mr. Bradshaw had some cool ideas. I think for the most part, it caters to the big money crowd, which is obviously the crowd that's paying his bills. So I don't really blame him. But again, like long-term good of the sport, I don't know that his vision's in the right spot. How about that? Yep, I agree. And it sounds like they're they're working towards better solutions. So let's hope that that happens. And, you know, I've seen a lot of... A lot of social media talk about this, as you have, Luke, and, you know, there's some bashing here and there, and guys, again, we, you know, we can't stress it enough that our platform is to not promote those types of things towards people, tracks, whatever, so, you know, try to help solve the problem instead of telling everybody that you see what the problem is all the time, so, yeah, yeah, unbiased to opinions and approaches to solutions is is what they need right now so what, work uh, towards that i have no idea what like the viewership was on that but you think when uh, mr bradshaw hit send on that that he had any idea that it would get the views and feedback and firestorm that it is creating <laughs> none whatsoever <laughs> there's there's no way there's no way he he saw that coming um, he thought he so. was about to take off 30 or 40 guys and he got three or four thousand i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and and obviously changed the you know changed it up fairly shortly after right. the video was released. So yeah, somebody got to him in a hurry and, and helped him understand what was going on. So let's hope that uh, progress continues and the mod guys have a have a great place to race there at Capital. 
Absolutely. All right, back onto the racetrack from last weekend. NHRA made its way to Houston for the Spring Nationals. I know I'm leaving out a sponsor there, sorry. Superstock Norvell Bowers defeated Kevin Helms. Kevin Helms just continues to put on a show. He was close to double up, runner up in Superstock, winner in stock over Austin Ford. And if he had to pick, I would imagine that he would take the win in stock. I believe that's his fourth final round of the young season. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I've actually had uh, Chad Rhodes <laughs> put on my Facebook page, Don't Look Now, but, you know, Kevin Helms just won stock and's in the final super stock, so he knows Kevin's going to be a hot commodity on the on the re-pick or redraw, redraft when we ever, whenever we have that. So I just hope I win the coin flip and get to go first. Yeah, he's a, uh, he's a big free agent, no doubt. Looking, looking strong for what would be championship number five, which is pretty incredible, especially spread out now over... I don't know exactly when Kevin won his first title, but it's got to be close to two decades. I think that was late 90s when he got three in a row. So, uh, very impressive for Mr. Helms. Super Comp in Houston, Alan Savage got the win over Britt Cummings. Super Gas, Steve Collier in uh, the Vega that has been the topic of much discussion here on the podcast. That's the 170-plus mile-an-hour Vega. He knocked out Roger Warren in the final round. Super Street was uh, Chris Bang, Division 5 competitor, knocked off our buddy Val Harmon. And top sportsman, uh, Keith Raftery, got the win over Vince Hoda. Raftery's one that uh, might have been a little bit off our top sportsman radar because I don't think he did much of, much racing at all last season. I think that's final number two for him in 2017, and he will be a threat in the, in top sportsman as well. Might be high on our uh, on our free agency board. And good for the the people that competed at Houston. I think this was the first year in the last few that they didn't have serious weather challenges and pit issues. So I was definitely happy to see them get off a good event. Yeah, that place can be a mess. Oh, and I forgot uh, Top Dragster. Top Dragster is a big one, too. J.R. Baxter got the win. Third consecutive Houston National Event Top Dragster win for J.R. Baxter. So uh, congratulations, sir. And I think, too, uh, I mentioned Alan Savage and Supercomp. I think he's been hot as well. It may have been on the iTry side. I apologize, Alan, for not remembering this. But I know he's been in another final or maybe two this season. So need to look at the NHRA score. Alan Savage may be making a run at the uh, at the uh, 890 top 10 or potentially championship as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff there for Baxter. That's that's hard to do three years in a row. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I don't I don't know where you would find stats on something like that, but that hasn't been done often. No, I wouldn't think so. So uh, on the bracket racing side, Luke, we uh, we had the Super Sevens in Montgomery, where it's three fifteen thousand dollar to win guaranteed purse races at Montgomery Raceway Park, and they did have the weather challenges that Houston avoided. They did get Friday's 15 grander run to completion. Uh, Timmy Smith, Timmy Two Toes, uh, Alabama Slammers to you right there, man, getting it done on the top and his dragster no less. So it's a good uh, good start for him there at the Super Sevens. And he defeated my great friend, uh, Larry Martin, uh, in his beautiful Camaro. Got by him in the final. Larry was one thou under. And uh, our great friend Brad Plourd was the lone semifinalist as he went one thou red to Larry in the semis there. So congrats to Two Toes and Larry and Brad. Looked like they had good showing. Saturday's uh, race got started but uh, had 12 cars remaining when the rain hit. And uh, the rain never quit after that. Uh, Left them having to stop and divide the purse at 12 
for Saturday's race and Sunday just didn't get contested at all. So good event. Looked like they had a good car count, but uh, just weather challenged them. Uh, no, I, I don't really know who was in at 12, but my, my close teammates that we call it was, uh, was not in, um, Dwayne Martin Sasquatch was, uh, he was the closest one and went out the round before 12. All state, uh, race coming up in Memphis the week after Indy, uh, second weekend of September. I don't think anything, any huge news to report, but I assume that you got the team captain email the last week I did. Basically, and I may have just been living under a rock a little bit, but uh, they're uh, they're wanting all pre-entries for each of the teams by the 1st of May, so that's coming up quick. Um, so we're going to get that submitted for Team Illinois, and I get, uh, the impression that I get is that'll kind of allow them to uh, finalize the perch structure. I believe we've got 31 teams total. They said something about uh, making a wild card drawing for 32nd, uh, so we'll have an even field there, and uh, obviously it's going to be 100% payback. So once all of that's in, teams are finalized, A, we can look at the rosters for every single state and uh, and banter that back and forth a little bit get everybody even more fired up about it and we will get to see the finalized purse for what may is quickly i should say be quickly becoming the uh the most prestigious event or one of the most prestigious events in the bracket racing landscape so looking forward to that as more information comes about yep definitely uh working on the slammers right now getting our entry fee together and going to get that submitted and hope everybody gets theirs turned in there on or before the May 1st deadline and uh, let the hype begin. Once we get all these teams fully committed financially and on paper, then um, it's going to be on. We're going to get serious about it after that point. Yeah, and they had mentioned too in the email, which I know we had uh, we had talked about this briefly on the podcast before, but they're also restructuring the purse for the Great American Bracket Race because obviously they anticipate so many more cars on the grounds um, with the All-State yeah. inclusion. That uh, I think it's still going to be fifty grand to win the main event, but it sounds like the payback is going to increase pretty well across the board for the three races. So obviously that's good for all of us that will be there in attendance. Yeah, big-time million-dollar race winners like you are just looking at the top prize. But the rest of us commoners, you know, we're, we're needing that payback to happen as soon as possible. So hopefully, you know, that will that'll help out with the – with the All-State Challenge and uh, create more opportunity for more racers to get some money in their hands. Absolutely. Good for everybody. All right. As most of you guys know, last Friday night, like Jed just alluded to, I notched the biggest win of my racing career at the K&N Spring Fling Millions. Crazy stuff. If you join This Is Bracket Racing Elite, can I guarantee you that you'll win the million? No. I wish I could. What I can do is assure you that myself and the community can help you improve behind the wheel in an effort to reach your own racing goals, whatever they may be. I think that my mental outlook and preparation was a huge factor in that big win. And to be completely honest, it's a huge factor in a lot of my recent success over the last couple of years. Over the weekend, specifically in Vegas, I had a lot of opportunities to turn pessimistic or to lose confidence, but I was able to hold it together when it mattered most. And I attribute that to the work that we've done on the mental side of things on This Is Bracket Racing Elite. Now, a strong mental game doesn't necessarily guarantee success, but a weak mental game almost certainly compromises your ability to have success. That's probably the biggest thing that we focus on in Elite. Sure, we discuss reaction times and driving the top end, even vehicle setup and prep, but the main focus is really on that mental game. Like That's the top tier of the pyramid, in my opinion. And again, the attention to that has really helped me. I think many of our Elite members say the same thing, and I believe that we can help you too. So to learn more, 
check out the link on thisisbracketracing.com. It's on the homepage on the right side. Or message me directly to find out more about This Is Bracket Racing either. All right, joining us now on the phone is the number one vote receiver for the last big thing that we've been talking about for a few weeks. We finally hemmed him up, got him on the phone. A guy that has been doing it since the 60s, so he's seen just about every era that we have in racing. 75 years young, still winning races, five granders, ten granders. This guy has done it all, and we are super proud to have with us on the phone Don Bullware. The last big thing. Don, how are you? Doing great. Doing great. Good to hear from you. Yes, sir. Great to have you. Sorry it's uh, taken us a couple of weeks to get you on the phone, but um, we wanted you to have your own time here. So this is your day, and I uh, want to say first and foremost, congratulations, man. That's a, It's really cool to, to win that or get the most votes in the last big thing. And well, you're very deserving. And, uh, and thank all Yeah, thank all the uh, my friends and Facebook Ken folks had voted for me. I mean, uh, you know, as I said uh, earlier, when when you talk, there's a lot of '60s out there that's still getting it done. And and Luke mentioned a lot of those people on episode 18 that he was surprised they didn't show up. But uh, it it all amounted to uh, the Facebook folks getting the work and getting it done. And uh, I thank them very much. Uh, uh, like sure. I said earlier, if if this had been a seventy five and older, I would have felt a lot more deserving because oh. there's a there's a lot of sixty telling you. So, but anyway, I'm still appreciative of of, of getting it. It's a great honor for me. Well, that's and, awesome. Yeah, you definitely had a big crowd, and and don't uh, don't humble yourself too much. It wasn't just your your friends and kinfolk. It was uh, racers from all over your region got uh, heading up that bandwagon for uh, for mr bullware yeah. and honestly we'll talk about this a little bit as we go but what's i think so impressive about your resume is the bulk of like the really big notable accomplishments have come in the last five years while you were in your 70s i think that's incredible well you know i have to wonder about that my brother was always a better racer when we first started out in fact we when we first got the cheetah we would swap out driving it every now you know every other week he was winning more races than i was so we made him the permanent racer he was a better racer i was just always an average racer and uh, he passed away there in 2012 in 2013 i had a year where i could do no wrong every thousands would go my way I tell you, I would just have to look at some of those time slips and 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 look up and say, "Hey, you know, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And related to, and then in twenty uh, twenty thirteen, I lost my son, and in twenty fourteen, I had I had another good year, you know. And I'm just an average racer, so I'm thinking I had a little help there somewhere. Just to be honest about it. That's cool. That well, Don, you, you you know you won it over the the nominees that we had. You, you beat Randy French, which is a guy back here in my neck of the woods, by three votes. So, you know the people that helped you get there, and obviously the talent that you had helped as well. But that was that was really cool to see you and Randy, you and Randy French duke it out that close, and then 
Greg Berba and Mike McKinney and Tim Buckley, all terrific racers in their own right. But um, you come out on top, so uh, you are very deserving. I I couldn't believe three votes. That's amazing. (laughs) It was tight. (laughs) (laughs) You talked a little bit about about racing with your your brother, Don. Tell us a little bit about how you first got interested in racing and, and started behind the wheel. Well... When I grew up, I never wanted to be anything but a cowboy. I grew up on a All I ever did is work with the rope, and uh, I had a horse, and, and I would rope these calves. And, and all I dreamed about was uh, being a calf roper and, and, and making the rodents. And uh, that's what I worked on all the time. Now, as time went on there, I was over in the back 40 bailing hay one day, and here comes my dad driving across the meadow 48 forward. And I couldn't figure it out because he had a fairly new 53 Plymouth. And uh, so um, after I slobber all over this 48 Ford for a little while, <laughs> tells me that it's mine. Now, get in mine. I, I think I'm uh, 13 or 14 years old. And after that, uh, the cowboying went by the wayside. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't take long. Huh? <laughs> all, all I, you know, and it wasn't long till I had that forty-eight Ford lowered in the back, had fender skirts on it, had the fuzzy <laughs> dice hanging on the windshield uh, on the mirror, and uh, Elvis playing on the only one radio station we could get. Down. <laughs> and man, I was the coolest kid in school. Now. I, it, I, it, this was just all right, you know. From so then on, the, from then on, the horses didn't have a prayer. It was a card. <laughs> is all I thought about. Man. So it was all about horsepower. Either way, you just chose to to put it on tires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I started with the one horsepower, and then went progressed from there. The forty-eight uh, Ford didn't cool. have much more, but it it sure seemed like it. <laughs> Don, you uh, you. You've accomplished a lot. You've accomplished a lot in racing, uh, you know, especially as long as you've been doing it. But do you have uh, a most memorable on-track accomplishment? Well, yeah, that was for a finals in Memphis. I think it was 2013. Uh, yeah, it was 2013. And uh, I made it to the world finals. And it's funny, I, I, I'm on Facebook the night before the, the finals and all these uh, – Folks, it's going to win, and nobody mentions my name again. Nobody's ever heard of me. And uh, so I get to the final round, and, uh, and uh, of course, it's a luck deal, but I, I'm, I'm trip zero on the tree. And uh, I'm running this door car. I'm, not, I'm really not used to the quarter mile. I, I'm, I haven't ran much quarter mile, but it looked like he was at the end of the track before I took <laughs> I get down to the end. And uh, and I I just uh, I just miss him by four thousand man, and and when that happened, I'm thinking, you know what? As old as you are, you never gonna get the <laughs> national title. This this is the end of it. But I did come back again real hard in in 2014. I tried real hard. Went up to Wichita to IHRA track, and I. And I went to Amarillo, and I, and I raced in the uh, bracket finals, and uh, I finished uh, number two. 
But uh, there again, I did the same thing. I was spotting out of Arizona, uh, something like uh, 500 or so, uh, I forget, somewhere between. It was quite, it was noticeable. Anyway, I left first, and we all know what a good feeling that is. Right. This is mine. This is mine. I've got this, maybe. So what do I do? I get down there the same thing, and I... uh, I give it back four thou. I don't know what it is with me and this four thou, but <laughs> <laughs> give it back four thou again. So I, I decided it's just not going to happen, you know. <laughs> but Man, to be that close twice—that's incredible—and and come up the same uh, the same amount yeah. short each time. Yeah, definitely probably program uh, there, little Luke. I, I'm missing the big end there, four thou somewhere in the. <laughs> And it's on the and it's on the wrong side. Yeah, yeah. You just need another six inches or so there, Don. You'd be in good shape. And I was gonna ask you too, Luke. Bugging me. How in the world do you whomp it one time and pull a guy like Michael Pennington in one and a half thousand? I got to know this. Pure luck, Mr. Bulware. I was, uh, I, we actually talked about it last week on the podcast. I wasn't really trying to tighten up the finish line. I just thought I could go a little bit under and needed to kill some. And when we hit the stripe, I thought, oh, that was close. And it worked out. So I will not, uh, I will certainly not take credit to taking a thousandth at the finish line. I got there first. Ooh, that's it looked, amazing. It looked really good on paper. That, that, <laughs> yeah, that was awesome, man. That ain't Ooh. the only Pennington he did it to, Don. <laughs> yeah yeah you and luke had one heck of a race man <laughs> we, uh, mm. don we talked uh, a little bit about your your success just within the last you know half decade or so for racers outside of your region that aren't familiar with you why don't you tell us just a little bit about your your combination your you know your racing operation to date today yeah at this today today i'm this time I'm running a 2002 Mullis Dragster that I bought off of my uh, nephew in uh, 2007. When I, it's a 565 cubic inch Big Chief motor, and in good air, it, it you know it it'll run some uh, 460s. Mm. It's the only dragster I've ever had. So, uh, but. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, the car is a lot better than the driver. I can I can tell you that. Jed uh, <laughs> and I both have a few of them like that. Before, yeah, before I, <laughs> I had a 62 Plymouth that I had bought out of a guy's backyard, and my wife almost cried when I brought this thing home. It, it, you can't believe what it looked like. But anyway, I made a race car out of it. Yeah, and that's the car that I, I remember you in growing up, correct? Well, it was a 62 Plymouth uh, and had Raz on the right. side of it, R-A-Z, yep. yeah. And uh, it was a pretty good wheel-standing car, run 5.8. Actually wound up with a big uh, Indy 528, I believe, in it. But uh, after I bought my dragster, I sold it to a guy in British Columbia, and I haven't haven't really? heard from since, yeah. Don, you went from the scene. You went from that 48 Ford, Don, to this Mullis Dragster now. So, you know, I, I think it's safe to say you've seen racing evolve from its simplest form to its current form. Uh, could you have ever dreamed that it would reach where it is right now? 
There is no way in the world. No way in the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've yeah. been doing it myself well, since 84, so it's it's crazy how much it's changed. But, my goodness, you you had to have uh, run in the days where there were no Christmas tree or any of that. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, you it's know, amazing. Uh, I'll tell you, we uh, – I don't – I think this was before Luke's time, but uh, when we – we're racing the cheetah back in the 60s my brother and i you got et and mile an hour that's what you got and and it was sent by a teller rider down to the ticket where you picked up your ticket right <laughs> now so the guy in the tire printed this ticket out so and it was usually the owner so you better hope that you <laughs> stayed in good with the owner <laughs> Because he could put anything he wanted on this ticket. Now, <laughs> now this, this is no lie. This is the truth. But me and my brother, he was a he was a union steward for a, a teamster. He was a teamster union steward for an air freight company, and I was a line haul dispatcher over about three hundred union teamster drivers. We did. We were sitting in a long line to get into Green Valley one day. <laughs> and I forget what we were running for, but it was very, very little. And, you know, our goal wasn't to to unionize, to, to start a racer union, but we did think that the racer needed a voice. Now, keep in mind, at this time, we didn't have social, social media. We didn't have any of that. <laughs> so we thought that the racer needed a voice. So we started an organization called the Texas Bracket Racers Association. I remember that. And uh, we started handing out flyers and uh, had some cards printed up, and we'd give them a card like you get from NHRA today, and they could come become members of our organization. Now, most cool. of the tracks went along with us, but one of them – one of them fought us tooth and nail. As a matter of fact, I got kicked out of one of them for passing out flyers. But it was his track, so I, I understand that. But as this thing progressed on, we got up to 200 to 300 members. And and this thing was turning into a lot of work. And keep in mind, at this time, we didn't have, everybody didn't have printers like you have today. So John Brimer bailed in with us and he helped us out and he came up with a little newsletter called the dial in and in this little newsletter we would send it out to all the racers and and tell who won the last race and where the next big race was going to be now the big race at that time was a thousand dollars that was the big race and anyway we sent out this newsletter and all of this. After a while, this thing really turned into a lot of work. So me, my brother, and John, we decided that we just needed to elect officers and divide up this work, a treasurer, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. So we got a bunch of racers together, and this is what we did. We elected officers. Well... <laughs> Uh, that was a big mistake. Uh, <laughs> uh, then, then you get a lot more different opinions on what to do, how to do oh, it. Yeah. And uh, 
after a while, there was this organization in New Jersey, and it was uh, ran by a guy named Carl Bullock, and it was called the United Bracket Racers Association. And they sent us a letter wanting to wanting to combine our unit, uh, Texas Bracket Racers Association, with theirs. Myself and my brother, I know, voted against it, and I think probably Brimer voted against it. But but overall, it passed. They decided to do it. Well, that was a that put the coffin in the nail because these Texas boys didn't care anything about belonging <laughs> to a New Jersey organization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so that was the end of it. But we, uh, to tell you a funny story, this was the time that. Uh, NHRA was uh, getting the uh, points program started at each track. Mm-hmm. Later on, I had a friend that uh, that uh, gave me a letter that the Division Four director had sent to one of the larger tracks, talking about how to disband this group of gypsy racers that wanted to run around the country. And pay extra money. See, at that time, if you were a member, we would pay you an extra 10 or $20 or something. I forget it was much. <laughs> mm-hmm. And pay extra money to some racers, and other racers didn't get the extra money. And this long letter, and uh, and and they were trying to figure out how to disband us. But uh, we, ev- we eventually got disbanded our own self. <laughs> <laughs> now, I remember the, the TBRA, I think its heyday was a little bit before, certainly I started racing, but maybe even before we'd moved to Texas. If I remember seeing the decals on everything and hearing the stories about it. I had no idea, Don, that you were behind that, or at least to some degree. Looking back on that time, like, do you feel like you guys had an impact on the tracks of that day? I, I really do. Yeah. We really do. I talked to John uh, Brimer about that once, and, and we both feel like we got NHRA's attention and that we did have an impact on that. Obviously had their attention if the division director is sending out letters about you. <laughs> yeah. I think we had an impact. See, see another one of our uh, requests at that time, as we got together and, and got to be a larger group, we wanted a... Uh, a person in the tire to to watch the guy printing to watch the time clocks mm-hmm. <laughs> because there was a lot of controversy going on. You can imagine, <laughs> yeah, you sure. can imagine how that would work. You know, if if you just get a, a time slip with ET and mile an hour on it, and it's teletyped down. <laughs> yeah, a little, uh, little room for interpretation there, wasn't there? <laughs> Yeah, I, Don, I started announcing on a Crondex system in the late 80s, and I was in my mid to late teens when I started, and I had to figure up who won based on the information that those clocks gave me. Oh and then I would God. I would flip a switch and, and tell who the winner was. <laughs> I just flipped the wind light switch on. Oh, and you really did I, have the switch. So I really did have the switch and people, uh, you know, whoever was racing would have somebody in the tower watching me like a hog. I'm, you know, I'm 17 year old, 16, 17 year old kid doing it. Really? Uh, they, would have, they would have somebody watching you. Yeah. I was a nervous wreck. So I, I, I get exactly why y'all had somebody in the tower. Cause I could have been messing it up for sure. Probably did a bunch. <laughs> oh. 
Don, oh, you've, uh, you've been a part of this sport in some capacity for, what, five-plus decades. What, above anything else, is, has kept you involved for all these years? You know what? I, I just love it, and uh, I, I love the being around the uh, other racers. And to tell you the truth, uh, I think it keeps me young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I get, I, you know, I'll be hurting and aching and moaning and groaning and i get in that race car and and went around and i don't feel a pain anywhere i i feel i I don't feel 75 at all i can promise you well obviously you're in pretty good shape physically and mentally to be able to compete at this level uh and and have the success that you are so kudos to you that's it's it's an awesome story well thanks i I have some uh, I have to be thankful for some good genes. My mom lived to be 98 and just wow. recently passed away not too long ago. And But uh, she was a feisty little woman, and, <laughs> and she made it a long time. If I get her side of the genes, I'll be doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, Don, you, you shared with us before we uh, started recording that you're you're behind on getting your engine built, but uh, when you get all that done and get ready to go, what's your what's your plans for 2017 and even further down the road? I'm going to keep uh, doing it. It'll probably be mostly on a local level. I do have one medical problem that keeps me from making the three-day races that I, I like to make. I got kidney problems, so I have to hook up to a dialysis deal every night. But uh, you know, it's not a big deal. I can keep going. But it, yep. but a three-day race, it's uh, everything has to be sterile, so it's kind of hard to do at the racetrack. But that being said, uh, I am my my main plan right now, other than the local races and the ones that I can go make in one day. I'm going to uh, for sure make Tommy Phillips's race. I really, really like his payout. Yeah, I like the break. Race. I like the breakdown on his payout better than any. Seems like nearly all of these races are ten thousand and two runner up, and uh, that's about it. And uh, I, I don't know if you got to pay ten thousand to to get the racers or not, but seems like Tommy's race was seventy five hundred and and paying further down. Uh, to me, that's just uh, for a guy that, that can't always get it done. You know, that's a that's a better chance for me to make some money. For and sure. I like. I think most of us would agree it's a little bit better structure all the way down. And we, when we had Tommy on, what probably a month ago, he talked a little bit about some of the things that they do to spread the wealth around a little bit. And it's not even necessarily to the racers that get in late. Like they've got some some programs to to really thank everybody for coming basically a little bit of something for everybody it looks like they do a really good job with that yeah i really i really like his structure and i and i'm at a loss to figure out why more tracks don't don't go to that but but maybe it takes that ten thousand dollars to get to racers i'm i just don't know i did have a track owner once tell me he said all you got to do is just put that top figure up there that ten thousand dollars and here they'll come so maybe, <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's it. You know, I don't all know. after the big prize, Don. <laughs> everybody, everybody's gonna get that ten thousand. You know. Yeah, for the longest <laughs> time, I would agree with that. I think that as a as a racer base, we're finally beginning to wise up and look at more than for years. I agree with you. It was what does it cost to enter and what's it pay to win, and uh, <laughs> and, and now I think we're we're starting to realize that there's a lot more people that fall somewhere in between. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, Don, Don, it's been an absolute joy chatting with you, getting to know you and hearing your history, but we can't let you get going without our normal wrap up. We, Luke and I call it rapid fire and we're going to throw five questions at you where we're just looking for a quick, simple answer, whatever pops up in your head, but we're going to give you you five rapid fires. You know, I don't have a delay box now. (laughs) <laughs> well, just get it on a chip and let go when you think it's time. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> Don, of all the cars that you've had over these years, what's your favorite race car? Well, I, I really like this dragster, but I got to say that 62 wheel stand in Plymouth has got to be my favorite. Oh, yeah. Had to be. That car was fun to watch. I will give you that growing up in in your neck of the woods and i know over the course of my career much less the course of yours there's been a lot of turnover a lot of different racetracks in that area looking back like what was your favorite facility like what play what one specific place has the the best memories for don bullworth oh it's all it's definitely got to be texas uh, raceway kennedale cool. oh yeah kennedale yeah don you your story tells us that you've been racing since the 60s uh, of all the eras. Let's just give it 60s, 70s, 80s, etc. What was your favorite or what is your favorite racing era? It would have to be the late 60s. Awesome. Yeah. I bet those were great times. Oh, they were great. Yeah. What stood out about it that was so different from today? Not, not to get off the rapid fire topic. You know, uh, uh, there was so many more cars, and it was, uh, you could, I guess it's the same way today, but you were always looking for just this little bit more, you know, to make it to make it work. But uh, I can remember going into, uh, this is a funny story, we went to Moroso. I can't remember <laughs> what year it was. My brother and myself, and we took the cheetah, and we had never heard of a, delay box or any of this and as we're sitting there getting ready to go in waiting to get in the gate we hear these cars up on the uh, on the line and they're missing (laughs) we said god dang look at this this is gonna be easy half of these cars are are missing like crazy (laughs) on the starting line you know now this is how far behind we were you know uh, we didn't know stuff. anything about two step, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, Don. When you get everything together and head to the track, whether it's Ennis or Wichita or wherever you're heading that day, what music's coming from the speakers in your truck on the way to the track? Oh, it, it's country western music, no doubt about it. There you go. Remember, I remember, like it, remember when uh, with Alan Jackson is. Oh yeah, I, I can't hardly I can't hardly listen to that one after my son passed away without uh, without a tear. But uh, yeah. that's, that's an cool. awesome song. Yes, it is. The little footsteps, and you know, and uh, I look back and and with a lot of regret over not spending more time with my son. And I look at all of these folks out here with these uh, with these kids now, how they're working with them with the junior dragsters. And it just, uh, man, it just really warms my heart. Yeah, it is great to see. You know. Don, 
you, you this is the last rapid fire you you got obviously a lot going on in your life outside of racing what would you say your favorite hobby is outside of going down the racetrack oh my favorite hobby the only other hobby i really have besides uh, going down to my farm and uh, and getting on the tractor and uh, brush hogging all day that's a uh, therapy for me but my uh, favorite <laughs> ho- my only other hobby is pool shooting i'm in a uh, i'm in oh. an apa pool league and uh, and play pretty fair pool and uh, <laughs> And I, I enjoy shooting Just the way it. he says that makes me not want to meet up with <laughs> yeah. Don Boulware in a game of pool. Yeah. What do you think, Jim? I'm not going to bet you $20, Don. Shoot a pretty fair <laughs> game, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you probably the last big thing in that, too. It's not too far a lot different from uh, drag racing. It takes a lot of concentration and a lot of uh, different skill levels there, you know. Mm-hmm. Extremely tough. Well, Don... Again, thank you so much for taking some time to join us. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is I, I was concerned, you know, you no no offense, you know, spring chicken, you're 75, and I was worried about you getting this old Skype thing set up on your smartphone, and all that. Man, you just went right through it like it was no big deal. You was ready in minutes, so uh, very proud of you for that. And really well, I thank you for that. And I, like I say, I want to thank all my uh, friends and. Ken folks that uh, voted this for me and uh, and uh, the 60s and older uh, they'll get there I know <laughs> I sure, there's a lot of them I sure don't want to meet up with I can tell you that for sure well, they feel the same about you Don thank you again we appreciate you spending some time with us it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, hopefully we get to cross paths sometime soon sounds good thank you guys and congratulations again Luke that was such an awesome job Oh, thank you, Don. I appreciate you coming on. This was a, this was a blast. I enjoyed this. All right. Thank All you. All right, guys. Don. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. You want to make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb. Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam. You do the Kevin Brandon, lay the smack across the land. Then you do the L ride and you come out like the world champ. You've been waiting all this podcast long. has been presented in part by Racing RVs. At this point, you should know about Racing RVs and what they're about. They support sportsman drag racing at an unprecedented level, and they've helped hundreds of racers just like you. When the time comes to consider an upgrade to your racing program, new or used, trade-in or direct purchase, truck, motorhome, or trailer, give Joe Fisher at Racing RVs a call at 419-236-1328. All right, guys, well, that wraps up episode 23. Definitely want to say thanks to our sponsors. These are the folks that bring the podcast to you. Each and every week, this is Bracket Racing Elite and Racing RVs. Thank you to Don Bulware, this week's guest, winner of The Last Big Thing. And just to, to recap Don's interview, I don't think anybody listening doubts Don's Texanness, if that's a word. Like, Don is true blue, <laughs> there's some cowboy comes out of him. But if you had any doubts, Texans don't say Amarillo. That's something for those of us that reside elsewhere. Did you, did you catch how he said Amarillo? I- I think I, I think I didn't. I heard it, but I didn't realize it's, it till it's now. Amarillo. 
Hammerella. That, that hammered it home right there. So thanks, Don. That was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> really enjoyed having him on. Would like to do more of that in the future. So thank you, Don Boyer. Thanks, uh, PJ. PJ North for the tunes. If you like what you hear here, every bit of the uh, music that we play on the podcast comes from PJ. You can find PJ North on iTunes and uh, and get your own PJ North music. Absolutely, look him up. And uh, again, guys, we're you know we plan to release a show every week of the calendar year, and we're right on schedule. So make sure you check us out and. Let us know that you're listening, subscribe, and, and get tuned in to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Absolutely. Subscribe. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. But the biggest thing is, wherever you are finding this podcast, however you're listening to it, be sure to subscribe. That's how you'll get the first notification that, hey, there's a new episode up. That way you can listen to it when it's fresh. You can get your hands on it before your friends. Yep. And speaking of your friends, tell them about the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. The show is growing. It's continuing to do better every week, every time we release a show, and uh, we, we want everyone to be involved. So tell your friends, and something we've talked about a little bit recently, get your track involved. We know Greer Dragway in South Carolina is playing the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast when they have a little downtime and all down, whatever, delays. So get your track involved and uh, help us get the word out through them as well. Yeah, we would love to see more of that. Again, kudos to the folks there at at, uh, at Greer. Finally, join our Facebook community, uh, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast on Facebook. Like we said earlier, the uh, the call is out. If you've got any uh, information or experience on uh, theft, whether from any angle uh, of a racing operation, if you can give us anything to uh, to share with the listeners of the podcast, we will dedicate an episode in the future to uh, trying to avoid theft in our own racing programs and again touch base with us there touch base with us on twitter uh, i'm at luke bogacki he's at jp11x find us there interact tell us what we're doing wrong tell us what we're doing right and uh, more than anything again thanks everybody for listening we will see you guys next week absolutely see you guys this is way alive banging on the door bump 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 until i get it in attitude like i am already winning in foot breaking in Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.